Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today. Uh, maybe it's going to warm back up, right? And uh, get back to normal around here today. Looking forward to that for sure. But great to be together. Uh, Kurt and I are going to continue to have to ask for your forgiveness. Uh, because, man, this section that we're fixing to get into in Mark, it's like we could probably spend three or four weeks on it. There's just a lot a lot to this, but it's just so rich and so good. We're going to learn a lot, but remember our greatest hope about why we do this together, and it's just so encouraging for us to hear y'all conversating with each other, getting to know each other, because it's when we do this together in community with people that we know and love, that we really have this place in our life, this space that's created in our life to say, okay, this makes sense. But it makes sense together. And we can be committed to the, the way of Jesus together. It just makes it a little bit easier. And uh, I'm grateful. So uh, today as we prepare to uh, head into Mark chapter 9 verse 14. Uh, I'm going to read and I'm going to pray us through Psalm 115. And may this certainly be true. Of our day today. Not to us Lord. Not to us. But to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to all. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we... Who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to pick up in chapter 9. We have hit high gear. Uh, Jesus is, is hitting the gas. His teachings have... Uh, really moved beyond being a rabbi, beyond even being the Messiah. He's really getting into this son of man idea. And it's, it's been incredible for the disciples. They've 
had this introduction to the cross, um, the lifted up thing that we had talked about. And then remember, he took three, his sort of core disciples up on the mountain, and they, I think, experienced uh, Judgment Day early. Uh, they saw Jesus as the Son of Man, uh, this second power in heaven. And so it's been this incredible uh, mountaintop experience. Uh, in Scripture, uh, revelation tends to come at the mountain. Uh, so like Moses and Mount Sinai, that's, that's when the amazing things happen. And if you follow the story from Exodus, what happens when they come down from the mountain? Do you know? Exactly. It's, it's already gone to crap. Um, so we'll we'll follow that pattern uh, very quickly here. We'll see what the other disciples have been doing. I want to just real quick draw attention to verse twelve. Um, the disciples are the the ones that were with him up top. We're trying to understand. So they actually ask in eleven. Um, now they began to ask him, why do the teachers of religious law, so why do other rabbis insist that Elijah must return before Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to set everything in order. Why then is it written in the scriptures that the Son of Man must suffer and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and he was badly mistreated, just as the scriptures predicted. This is easy sort of to blow past this stuff. Um, in, in many ways, this whole conversation of Elijah is the, the connecting tissue to the Old Testament. As you study scripture, always resist that temptation just to think, well, the New Testament is all that matters. You know, this is new. Jesus is doing something that nobody had ever, it, it, it's, it's a complete story. And Elijah, so much of the Elijah story is the connection uh, between what God had planned from the beginning to what's happening now. You know, Steve just read us the psalm. And who who did they say would praise God? The living. We're not like those people that go down into Sheol, go into the underworld. They don't praise God. I mean, you have a real reflection. They don't really think uh, there's much afterwards. The one exception they always had was Elijah. Remember, Elijah does not die. He's taken up in a fiery chariot to heaven. And so as strange as this is going to sound, Elijah is almost the Holy Spirit figure in the Old Testament. The Jews still to this day hold desperately to this idea that there is one living being with God and that whatever God is going to do, he's going to be that intermediary. So that's where they are. What Jesus is going to set out and what we're going to have spelled out in just a minute is that it's probably never going to go the way you imagine it. We dream, we come up with ideas, we fantasize. Uh, Steve and I just had a fun conversation about the red heifers. Have you heard all this stuff? So there's a whole... Seriously, anybody hear about the red heifers? The red heifers. 
Yeah, there's a whole kind of crazy that comes out with red heifers, right? Um, it, there's a special red kind of cow that you have sacrificed at the temple, and that makes the possibility, the, the cleansing for all the rest of the sacrifices to begin. So people are looking around the world for this magic red heifer so they can begin sacrificing again, and la, 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 it gets, it, you know, express trip to crazy town really, really quickly. And the, the the message here from Jesus is, it, it, over and over, it's not going to probably go the way you imagine it. You, you've got to stay connected to me. Right. And I'll show you what's going to happen, okay? I'm in charge. You're, you're learning. And we, since the garden, we always want to reverse that. God, you've got to do this. I mean, how many times do you hear people quote scripture to God? Are we nuts? God, you've got to do it this way. God, you said in your word, you will. Okay, he knows it, right? It, it, it's just, you, you can't reverse those roles. And it's so tempting. Ugh. We study it, we know it, we hear it, we imagine it. And Jesus is saying, yes, Elijah is coming. Elijah has already come. Who does Jesus say Elijah was? John the Baptist. And he's really doing an understatement. He was badly mistreated. <laughs> he got his head cut off for a birthday party. Uh, that's, that, that's bad. So <laughs> I think that's setting up what's going to happen in verse 14. So Jesus is having this conversation coming down. Verse 14, at the foot of the mountain... They found a great crowd surrounded by the other disciples and some teachers of religious law. So again, it's turned into one of these public rabbi debates. Uh, They were arguing with the disciples. The crowd watched Jesus in awe as he came towards them. And then they ran to greet him. What is this all this arguing about, he asked. One of the men in the crowd uh, spoke up and said, Rabbi, teacher, I brought my son... Uh, for you to heal him. He can't speak because he is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this evil spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground and makes him foam at the mouth, grind his teeth, and become rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Okay. So how did that go down? Jesus went up the mountain with some of the other guys, and we're hanging out here. What should we do, guys? Want to get some lunch? Hey, how about Subway? I got an idea. Let's do an exorcism. Oh, yeah, it'll be great. What? What? What what did the disciples decide to do? Someone came. They wanted Jesus. You don't need Jesus. I'm just his, I'm his disciple. I'm here to do it. Now, has Jesus empowered <clears throat> the disciples to do some of this stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but can they do it on their own? Yeah. 
So just just note, just to, for context sake, you go back to Mark chapter 6. Uh, you know, he had sent them out. Uh, this is uh, beginning in verse 6. And then when they returned, uh, they went out and preached that the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And everybody says, ah, success, right? They get this word in their ear. That the way that Jesus is going to save the world by suffering and dying. And that's where Jesus leads them to go up on the mountain. And by the time they come back, they've gotten to this place where they are failing. Fair enough? Yeah, absolutely. And I love verse 19. Lest you ever forget Jesus is a real person. This pisses him off, okay? Jesus is not always, oh, I love you. I want to affirm it. He's like, oh my God, you idiots! You faithless people, how long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? <laughs> Again, that's a great bumper sticker, isn't it? You know, just just put Mark, how long must I put up with you? Uh, so who's he talking to? Steve and I had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. He's like, come on, guys. Come on. You, you know, it's literally, you decided to take apart the car now? You, you decided to do this exorcism now? I mean, wait 10 minutes, I'll be there. So I want to jump to the end for, hopefully this will give us the key to understand what they did wrong. So jump to verse 28. So after all this, and, and we'll go back through the story, but afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? Like Steve said, they'd had some success with other ones, but now they couldn't do it. Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. What does that mean? Wouldn't you love to be a disciple? Do you think they didn't pray? Talking about the spirit. Well, what what spirit? I mean, God's spirit on that. Yeah. The, so the, the, there's there's two things going on, I think, and, and I love love our discussion. When we get into this stuff about you don't have enough faith uh, or your faith is lacking, uh, Jesus will say this a lot. There is a lot of language stuff that happens that we tend to miss. So if I say in English, um, I had a big boat, and she was christened last Tuesday. So take those two phrases. I had a big boat, and the second, she was christened last Tuesday. As an English speaker, you'll know we generally uh, refer to ships as female, right? But imagine in a thousand years, you're trying to read that literally. So you could literally say, well, I was talking about a ship, and then I was talking about a girl, because I said she. She was christened. So maybe I have a ship, and then I'm telling you, um, and my daughter was baptized, christened last Tuesday. That's literally what I'm saying, right? But there's there's this context to it. Ships are generally female. In English, when we say your faith is 
is is lacking. Your faith is not enough. We always sort of imagine an amount. So like I have a pitcher of faith. And Jesus is saying your faith is only half full. If you would fill it all the way up, then you would have enough. And unfortunately, Christians go down this road and they get crazy with it. But the problem is, the way this is presented, both in Aramaic and in Greek, is that it's not an amount, it's a duration, which is hard for English speakers to get. Jesus, when he talks about your faith is lacking, he says it doesn't last. You believe for a moment and then you don't believe for a moment. The classic example of this is, did Peter walk on water? Yeah, he does for a moment and then poof. This is Jesus's point. You're faithful for a moment and then you stop. The disciples were faithful before Jesus went up on the mountain. And when I come down, we have our golden calf moment. Your faith does not last. This is what he's after, that you've got to connect with me and stay with me. I think this is what the the prayer thing means. They were trying to do this exorcism like others would, to take their own faith, their own power, their own phrases, their own quoting of Scripture, and do it on their own. Like you said, they've got to be able to connect to God. It's not that the prayer drives out the demon. It's that the prayer connects them to God who can drive out the demon. People will say to me all the time, there's power in prayer. And I want to get very technical with them and say, Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today. Uh, Maybe it's going to warm back up. Right? And, uh, get back to normal around here today. Looking forward to that for sure. But great to be together. Uh, Kurt and I are going to continue to have to ask for your forgiveness. Uh, because man, this section that we're fixing to get into in Mark, it's like we could probably spend three or four weeks on it. There's just a lot, a lot to this, but it's just so rich and so good. We're going to learn a lot. But remember our greatest hope about why we do this together. And it's just so encouraging for us to hear y'all conversating with each other, getting to know each other, because it's when we do this together in community with people that we know and love, that we really have this place in our life, this space that's created in our life to say, okay, this makes sense, but it makes sense together. And we can be committed to the the way of Jesus together. Just makes it a little bit easier. And uh, I'm grateful. So uh, today as we prepare to uh, head into Mark chapter 9 verse 14. uh, I'm going to read and I'm going to pray us through Psalm 115. And may this certainly be true of our day today. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. 
but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to all. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to pick up in chapter 9. We have hit hit high gear. Uh, Jesus is, is hitting the gas. His teachings have... Uh, really moved beyond being a rabbi, beyond even being the Messiah. He's really getting into this son of man idea. And it's, it's been incredible for the disciples. They've had this introduction to the cross, um, the lifted up thing that we had talked about. And then remember he took three, his sort of core disciples up on the mountain and they I think experienced uh, Judgment Day early. Uh, they saw Jesus as the Son of Man, uh, the second power in heaven. And so it's been this incredible uh, mountaintop experience. Uh, in Scripture, uh, Revelation tends to come at the mountain. Uh, so like Moses and Mount Sinai, that's, that's when the amazing things happen. And if you follow the story from Exodus, what happens when they come down from the mountain? Do you know? Exactly. It's it's already gone to crap. Um, so we'll we'll follow that pattern uh, very quickly here. We'll see what the other disciples have been doing. I want to just real quick draw attention to verse twelve. Um, the disciples are the the ones that were with him up top. are trying to understand. So they actually ask in eleven. Um, Now they began to ask him, why do the teachers of religious law, so why do other rabbis, insist that Elijah must return before Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to set everything in order. Why then is it written in the scriptures that the Son of Man must suffer and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and he was badly mistreated, just as the scriptures predicted. This is easy sort of to blow past this stuff. Um, in, in many ways, this whole conversation of Elijah 
is the, the connecting tissue to the Old Testament. As you study Scripture, always resist that temptation just to think, well, the New Testament is all that matters. You know, this is new. Jesus is doing something that nobody had ever... It, it, it's, it's a complete story. And Elijah, so much of the Elijah story is the connection uh, between what God had planned from the beginning to what's happening now. You know, Steve just read us the psalm. And who who did they say would praise God? The living. We're not like those people that go down into Sheol, go into the underworld. They don't praise God. I mean, you have a real reflection. They don't really think there's much afterwards. The one exception they always had was Elijah. Remember, Elijah does not die. He's taken up in a fiery chariot to heaven. And so as strange as this is going to sound, Elijah is almost the Holy Spirit figure in the Old Testament. The Jews still to this day hold desperately to this idea that there is one living being with God and that whatever God is going to do, he's going to be that intermediary. So that's where they are. What Jesus is going to set out and what we're going to have spelled out in just a minute is that it's probably never going to go the way you imagined it. We dream, we come up with ideas, we fantasize. Uh, Steve and I just had a fun conversation about the red heifers. Have you heard all this stuff? So there's a whole... Seriously, anybody hear about the red heifers? The red heifers. Yeah, there's a whole kind of crazy that comes out with red heifers, right? Um, it, there's a special red kind of cow that you have sacrificed at the temple, and that makes the possibility, the, the cleansing for all the rest of the sacrifices to begin. So people are looking around the world for this magic red heifer so they can begin sacrificing again, and la, 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 it gets, it, you know, express trip to crazy town really, really quickly. And the, the the message here from Jesus is, it, it, over and over, it's not going to probably go the way you imagine it. You, you've got to stay connected to me. Right. And I'll show you what's going to happen, okay? I'm in charge. You're, you're learning. And we, since the garden, we always want to reverse that. God, you've got to do this. I mean, how many times do you hear people quote scripture to God? Are we nuts? God, you've got to do it this way. God, you said in your word, you will. Okay, he knows it, right? It, it, it's just, you, you can't reverse those roles. And it's so tempting. Oh, we study it, we know it, we hear it, we imagine it. And Jesus is saying, yes, Elijah is coming. Elijah has already come. Who does Jesus say Elijah was? John the Baptist. And he's really doing an understatement. He was badly mistreated. <laughs> he got his head cut off for a birthday party. Uh, that's that, that's bad. So I think that's setting up what's going to happen in verse 14. So Jesus is having this conversation coming down. Verse 14, at the foot of the mountain... They found a great crowd surrounded by the other disciples and some teachers of religious law. So again, it's turned into one of these public rabbi debates. Uh, They were arguing with the disciples. The crowd watched Jesus in awe 
as he came towards them. And then they ran to greet him. What is this all this arguing about, he asked. One of the men in the crowd uh, spoke up and said, Rabbi, teacher, I brought my son uh, for you to heal him. He can't speak because he is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this evil spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground and makes him foam at the mouth, grind his teeth, and become rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Okay. So how did that go down? Jesus went up the mountain with some of the other guys, and we're hanging out here. What should we do, guys? Want to get some lunch? Hey, how about Subway? I got an idea. Let's do an exorcism. Oh, yeah. It'll be great. What? What? What did the disciples decide to do? Someone came. They wanted Jesus. You don't need Jesus. I'm just I'm his disciple. I'm here to do it. Now, has Jesus empowered the disciples to do some of this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But can they do it on their own? Yeah. So just just note, just for context's sake, you go back to Mark chapter 6. Uh, you know, he had sent them out. Uh, this is uh, beginning in verse 6. And then when they returned, uh, they went out and preached that the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And everybody says, success, right? They get this word in their ear. That the way that Jesus is going to save the world by suffering and dying. And that's where Jesus leaves them to go up on the mountain. And by the time they come back, they've gotten to this place where they are failing. Fair enough? Yeah, absolutely. And I love verse 19. Lest you ever forget Jesus is a real person. This pisses him off, okay? Jesus is not always, oh, I love you. I want to affirm it. He's like, oh my God, you idiots. You faithless people, how long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? <laughs> Again, that's a great bumper sticker, isn't it? You know, just, just put Mark, how long must I put up with you? Uh, so who's he talking to? Steve and I had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. He's like, come on guys. Come on. You, you know, it's literally, you decided to take apart the car now? You, you decided to do this exorcism now? I mean, wait 10 minutes, I'll be there. So I want to jump to the end for, hopefully this will give us the key to understand what they did wrong. So jump to verse 28. So after all this, and, and we'll go back through the story, but afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? Like Steve said, they'd had some success with other ones, but now they couldn't do it. Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. What does that mean? When you love to be a disciple, do you think they didn't pray? 
talking about the spirit. Well, what what spirit? I mean, God's spirit on them. Yeah. The, so the, the, there's there's two things going on, I think, and, and I love love our discussion. When we get into this stuff about you don't have enough faith uh, or your faith is lacking, uh, Jesus will say this a lot. There is a lot of language stuff that happens that we tend to miss. So if I say in English, um, I had a big boat and she was christened last Tuesday. So take those two phrases. I had a big boat, and the second, she was christened last Tuesday. As an English speaker, you'll know we generally uh, refer to ships as female, right? But imagine in a thousand years, you're trying to read that literally. So you could literally say, well, I was talking about a ship, and then I was talking about a girl, because I said she, she was christened. So maybe I have a ship and then I'm telling you, um, and my daughter was baptized, christened last Tuesday. That's literally what I'm saying, right? But there's, there's this context to it. Ships are generally female. In English, when we say your faith is, is, is lacking, your faith is not enough, we always sort of imagine an amount. So like I have a picture of faith, and Jesus is saying your faith is only half full. If you would fill it all the way up, then you would have enough. And unfortunately, Christians go down this road and they get crazy with it. But the problem is the way this is presented both in Aramaic and in Greek is that it's not an amount, it's a duration, which is hard for English speakers to get. Jesus, when he talks about your faith is lacking, he says it doesn't last. You believe for a moment, and then you don't believe for a moment. The classic example of this is, did Peter walk on water? For a moment. Yeah. He does for a moment, and then poof. This is Jesus' point. You're faithful for a moment, and then you stop. The disciples were faithful before Jesus went up on the mountain, and when I come down, we have our golden calf moment. Your faith does not last. This is what he's after. That you've got to connect with me and stay with me. I think this is what the, the prayer thing means. They were trying to do this exorcism like others would. To take their own faith, their own power, their own phrases, their own quoting of scripture, and do it on their own. Like you said, they've got to be able to connect to God. It's not that the prayer drives out the demon. It's that the prayer connects them to God who can drive out the demon. People will say to me all the time, there's power in prayer. And I want to get very technical with them and say, there's no power in prayer whatsoever. This is what the disciples were doing. The power is God. If you connect to God through prayer, then you have the power. If you just try to pray and use the right words, and it's like putting your your phone on airplane mode. You still have the phone, but it's not going to work. You've got to connect, as Gary said, to God. And that's what went wrong. So let me stop there. Does that all make sense?
Yeah. Reminds me of the quote you gave me a while back referring to how the Pharisees and the Sadducees had lost their focus. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the, the name of the author, but they had become so engrossed or focused on being in the world for God, they forgot to be in God for the world. That's right. That is it. That's it's very really good. So as Kurt has masterfully unpacked this for us, I want you to to ponder this. What is causing the disciples' faith to fail? What could it be? Hard hearts. Hard hearts from what? Hate of the Gentiles. Oh, could be. Let's dig a little deeper, Brent. He's not doing what they want him to do. Ah. Okay. Instead, he's just walking from field to field. Curing people and making puzzles. Okay. What what kind of people is it curing, though? Anybody. Right. Both Jews and Gentiles. You know, let me chase a rabbit for a minute. Last night before I went to bed, I always, I'm such a nerd, I have this app that tracks um, archaeological reports. Okay? So, all right, it's my candy. Um, An amazing, an absolute horrifying archaeological discovery in Israel. In a place called Ashkelon, which is right along the coast, they were excavating a Roman bathhouse. In the sewers of the bathhouse, one of the archaeologists found chicken bones. He's like, hey, let's look at all these chicken bones. And chicken bones, a chicken it was very expensive. It was a Persian bird. You had to import it. So they start going through it. It's not chickens. It's babies. Over a hundred babies in the sewer. Now remember, Romans regularly will expose children, put them out in the fields to let them die. This is, this is their birth control. They have never found anything like this. What, what they think is happening is at these Roman bathhouses, a lot of prostitution goes on. And so these women are aborting their babies, giving birth to them, and then throwing them down the sewers. It's this, and this is in Israel. I mean, this is Roman, but this stuff is going on. So, I mean, just, it's, it's flowing out of the ground today. This is how rotten, how evil these people are. And Jesus is coming to them. I mean, when Jesus goes out to the Roman, when he goes to the Decapolis, uh, the, the capital, I was just there um, at, um, at Beit Shan, which is the capital of the Decapolis, the ten cities. Uh, there's there's huge whorehouse. I mean, like right downtown, it's it's like McDonald's. You can pick your uh, your Happy Meal. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, and I wonder if we should dig there for baby bones. I mean, so it it, it is real. It, it is it is horrible. What was happening? Um, but I, I, go ahead. Was there any like jealousy that they didn't get to go up the top of Peter, James, and John, and so it was more of a hubris, like we can do this too. But we're going to show him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold, hold, hold that, because 
There is what holds this section of teaching together is arguments. So there's an argument here with uh, the the uh, who, who's he, who are the disciples arguing with the teachers, right? Who's he arguing with? All right, I'm missing it. Yeah, they're they're rabbis. Teachers of religious law. So yeah, rabbis okay. are scribes. Yeah, so they're having that argument, and then the section is blanketed by another argument. The disciples are arguing which one of them is the greatest. And so, why do you argue? Is another question that needs. But I want to go back again. What is causing these disciples, especially? Well, I think all of them, um, because if you notice how the whole thing ends, I have it highlighted there. What causes our faith, as Kurt has described, to fail? Trust to God. Come on, keep digging. But what what causes to stop trusting in God? And it's like suffering. Like when we, and, and so Jesus is talking about, like, this is how his kingdom is going to be shaped. It is going to be a kingdom shaped by suffering. 